the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. It was several years ago that there was a caller to the program around Easter time who identified themselves as a Christian since childhood, regular churchgoer, love the Lord, tithe regularly. But as we were talking during the Easter season about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, the caller went on to say that they didn't think that it was really that big of a deal, that it didn't matter if Christ's resurrection was literal or or a figurative one. That conversation demonstrated to me that there are those within the body of believers who identify as Christians that are, well, from weak on the fundamentals to utterly failing to understand, grasp, and embrace even what is foundational to our faith. The extreme ineffectiveness, perhaps, of the gospel because of either biblical illiteracy or the unwillingness to outright acknowledge that we are in conflict, that we as Christians who believe in what the Bible teaches about not just the identity of Christ, but the role that he plays on the world stage of providing that substitutionary sacrifice through and by which we might be, through faith and grace, reconciled unto the very Creator himself. Today we spend some time talking about that conflict that we seem in some cases to be avoiding as we're joined by best-selling author, senior pastor of First Baptist Church in Dallas, speaker on the broadcast Pathway to Victory, and of course uh, his latest book, Not All Roads Lead to Heaven, sharing an exclusive Jesus in an inclusive world. And Dr. Robert Jeffress, great to have you back on the program. Thanks for having me, Craig. Let's talk about this sense of conflict. Certainly, as we look at the world stage today, uh, we are in conflict. And particularly from the position of biblical Christianity, uh, we see there are two fundamental opposing views. There is biblical Christianity on one hand and the rest of the world. Sadly, though, there are many people, and a growing number, particularly in uh, Western Christianity, that seem to, rather than recognize the conflict, it's almost as if we're choosing to eliminate it. Well, that's right. And the one statistic, Craig, that was behind my writing this book was the fact that 57% of evangelical Christians say there's more than one way to God other than faith in Jesus Christ. In spite of the fact that Jesus clearly said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except by me. And that is just astounding that Christians are waffling and wavering on the most foundational belief of historic Christianity. And, you know, the truth is, Craig, 
think if we give up this belief, we might as well close our church doors. I mean, if there are many ways to heaven, I mean, the death of Jesus Christ was a horrendous mistake. I mean, why did he suffer not just the physical agony, but the spiritual agony on the cross of bearing the sins of the world, if indeed all roads end up to heaven anyway? And uh, I just find that so many Christians are waffling on this issue that I wrote this book in order to, first of all, ground Christians so that they can reclaim this foundational truth, but also know how to share it in a compassionate, yes, but a compelling way with other people. From your perspective and viewpoint, Dr. Jeffers, how do we reconcile this? I mean, better than 50% of evangelical Christians that do not fundamentally have a grasp on the foundation of our faith. I understand that, you know, American, we must certainly embrace our pluralism from a constitutional liberty view. I get that. But Christians can be embracing this pluralism from a theological view. I mean, to do so at the core is an anathema. Well, it is. And look, I think what's happened here is we've allowed the world to browbeat us into believing that to tell people that Buddhism is wrong and Islam is wrong and Hinduism is wrong, that that's hateful and intolerant, and nobody wants to be uh, accused of that. But really, if Jesus is the only way to heaven, the most loving thing we can do is share that with somebody. I was on a plane not long ago, and I was seated next to a guy, and he found out I was a Christian pastor. And he said, you know, I used to be a Christian, but I I gave it up. And I said, well, why did you give it up? He said, I could no longer worship a God who was so intolerant as to say there was only one way to worship him. So I said to him, just imagine this airplane were to crash. The cabin started filling up with smoke. The flight attendant stood at the front of the plane, waving a flashlight, saying, follow me. There's one way out of this burning airplane. Would you accuse her of being intolerant or hateful because she insisted there was only one way out? Of course not. You would thank her, and you would follow her. And and that's what we've got to do, Craig, is realize that this message is not a message of hate. It's a message of love. If we hated Muslims and, and Buddhists and Hindus, we would keep our mouths shut. But this truth that Christ is the way to heaven was meant not to keep people out of heaven, but to invite them in. Part of the issue here, too, Dr. Jeffers, perhaps a, a, a stigma that is infecting certainly American culture, if not Western culture overall, this notion that somehow it's more important to be liked than be truthful about God's word. I mean, there is a, perhaps a bit of an inconvenience to that passage in John 14, where Christ declares that he is the way, the truth, the life, that no one comes to the Father but through him. And of course, if we speak that truth in that fashion, uh, we're not always going to be necessarily the most popular person at the party. No, we're not. But again, if a fireman's trying to lead you out of a house that's on fire, do you really care, you know, what kind of tone he uses when he says, follow me? I mean, you want to get out. I think the bottom line, what it comes back to is, Craig, many Christians really don't believe what Jesus said. They really believe that there's more than one way to God. And I don't think they've thought through the implications of this. Look, if Jesus was wrong when he said, no man comes to the Father but by me, and really all roads do lead to heaven— He was wrong because either he was lying, he knew what he was saying was untrue, or he was mistaken, he didn't know what he was talking about, and therefore was not omniscient. Either way, if Jesus was wrong, he's not the Son of God. If he's not the Son of God, then when he died on the cross, he died for his sins, not for our sins, and that means you and I are still left in our sins. What I'm saying is Christianity, the whole faith, unravels like a cheap sweater if Jesus was wrong on this signal issue. It's almost as if we don't want to accept uh, the exclusivity 
of Christianity because we're afraid that perhaps someone won't believe as we do and therefore be left out. And we don't want to be mean toward people. It's almost as if we don't we don't understand the dynamic of the fact that it's God's creation. He gets to set the rules. And, and even this notion deeper in terms of the sinfulness of man and the holiness of God, it seems like there's a, a fundamental disconnect there. Oh, there is. You know, my friend David Jeremiah did the blurb on the cover of the book, and he tells a great story I recount in the book. You know, he said one day after a Sunday sermon, a woman came up to him just irate, and she said, Dr. Jeremiah, I want you to know the God I serve, the God I serve, would not send people to hell for simply not believing in Jesus. And David surprised her by saying, you're right. The God you serve wouldn't do that because the God you serve is an imaginary God. And that's what's happened. You know, somebody said uh, God created man in his own image, and ever since that time, man has tried to return the favor. (laughs) I mean, most of us have created the God we wish existed rather than worshiping the God who actually exists. And when you look at the God of the Bible, the real Bible, he's holy, we're not, there's a chasm between us, and Christ is not just one way, he's the only way to bridge that that great divide, that chasm. Remember in the Garden of Gethsemane, when Jesus fell down and cried out to the Heavenly Father, Father, if there is any way, any other way, let this experience pass by me. But there was no other way. That's why heaven was silent. Jesus' death on the cross was the only way to bridge that chasm between God and man. We would like to serve a tolerant God, but forget that we actually serve a God who is a just God. That's right. And, you know, God is just and God is loving. God's justice demands that a payment be made for our sin. God's love provides that he made the payment himself. And really, the cross of Jesus Christ is the intersection of God's justice and his love. There is this obsession that America seems to have with tolerance these days. And I want to talk a bit about that when we come back after a brief break. If you've just joined the conversation, our visit today with pastor, radio speaker, and best-selling author, Dr. Robert Jeffress. His new book, perhaps one of the most critical ones and certainly most foundational of a topic through the fundamental historical Christian faith. Not all roads lead to heaven. Dr. Robert Jeffress, our guest. A brief time out, back with more as Lifeline continues. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Special guest on today's edition of Lifeline, we're visiting with senior pastor of First Baptist Church in Dallas and speaker on Pathway to Victory broadcast, best-selling author, Dr. Robert Jeffress, a look at his new book, Not All Roads Lead to Heaven, sharing an exclusive Jesus in an inclusive world. I'm curious about part of this issue here, Dr. Jeffress, if where we're, we're, we're failing at this point is that we've perhaps laid a lot of our faith at the so-called altar of tolerance, this notion that, well, if God is really a loving God, surely he will accept us so long as we are sincere in our effort to reach him, whether we call God Allah, Yahweh, or Maitreya. Well, that's right. And by the way, that's one of the objections that I deal with in this book. You know, I wrote this book, Craig, so that people could reclaim this belief that Christ is the only way to heaven. And I, you know, answer seven of the major objections to that belief, the one you just raised. Well, you know, people simply call God by a different name. Or the objection, well, what about those who have never heard the name of Jesus? Isn't it unfair that God would send them to hell for rejecting a Jesus they never heard of? Or what happened? to infants and small children who are too young to 
your trust in Christ. 1 Peter 3.15 says we need to be ready to give an answer to everyone who asks us for the hope that is within us. But uh, let's take that question you just raised about, well, you know, what about tolerance and what about people who just call God by another name? Well, you know, names mean something. Allah of the Quran is not Jehovah God of the Bible. Allah is an imaginary God. Jehovah is a real God. Allah has no sons. Jehovah has one son who died on the cross for our sins. Allah says the land of Israel belongs to the descendants of Ishmael. Jehovah God, the real Bible, says the God that Israel belongs to the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They are not the same gods. And I illustrated that to my congregation, Greg, uh, a few weeks ago. I was talking about David Jeremiah. I said to my congregation, just suppose for several weeks we announced that Dr. Jeremiah was going to be the guest preacher at our church. And everybody packed in on a particular Sunday to hear David Jeremiah. But instead, I stood up and preached. And after the service, a few of you came up to me and trying to mask your disappointment said, well, wait a minute, is Dr. Jeremiah sick today? Oh, no, not that I know of, I said. Well, the bulletin says he's going to preach here. It says right here, David Jeremiah. I said, oh, well, David Jeremiah is just another name I go by sometimes. Sometimes I use David Jeremiah, sometimes Joel Olstein, sometimes Al Sharpton, but we're all preachers. We're all the same. Well, that's ridiculous. Names represent something. And the Bible says in Acts 4.12, there is no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. First John 5.13 says, these things have I written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you might have eternal life. Now, part of this is not only a, a complete disconnect from the fundamental teachings of our faith, but perhaps some, some extreme intellectual dishonesty, too. I mean, isn't this partly born out of this notion that somehow it, it, it's possible to have multiple truths all yeah, be valid yeah. simultaneously? Boy, you hit the nail on the head with that. In fact, that's one of the things I talk about in Not All Roads Lead to Heaven. You know, there's what we call absolute truth. And then there's relative truth. But both are real phenomenon. There's absolute truth and relative truth. For example, if I ask you, what temperature does water freeze at? Well, the answer is 32 degrees Fahrenheit. It's not 35 degrees. It's not 16. It's 32 degrees is the freezing temperature of water. But if I were to ask you, what's a comfortable room temperature? Well, that's relative truth. For some people, it's 72. For some people, it's 68. For some people, it's 55. When it comes to the question, how can a person have a right relationship with God, the world today thinks that's a relative truth. It's a matter of whatever you think it is. But God says, no, there's an absolute answer to that question. There is only one way to me, and it's through my son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And by the way, that's not a new concept. I show in the book, I have a chapter called The Old Way Was One Way, showing how from the very beginning of the Old Testament, God always required an exclusive way to worship him. I wonder if we come back full circle that this also doesn't reveal a fundamental um, inaccuracy or misunderstanding of everything from the nature of God to the nature of mankind, the notion of God's demand for sacrifice for the remission of sin, uh, and that there, there's a disconnect here so that all of a sudden we get very, well, I was going to say sloppy grace. It's almost non-existent grace because we're trying to define the term of engagement with God based on our terms as opposed to his terms. Another great point. You know, the problem, the reason we embrace this uh, uh, inclusivism and reject exclusivity, 
is because of two things. First of all, we think too little of God, and secondly, we think too high of ourselves. Uh, you know, we think, well, we're able to overlook sin in other people. Why can't God be as tolerant as we are? I mean, every day we overlook sin in others, we overlook sin in ourselves. But the fact that we do that is not a sign of our uh, how much we are like God. It's a sign of how much we are unlike God. You know, the word uh, holy means a cut above, separate, distinct. God is called holy. He is different than we are. He said through Habakkuk the prophet, mine eyes are too pure to uh, see evil. God cannot tolerate evil like we are. He is holy. We're not. And we overestimate our own goodness as well. You know, we tend to judge ourselves based on other people. We find somebody who's worse than we are and say, well, at least I'm not as bad as Adolf Hitler, Osama bin Laden, the drug dealer, the child molester. I must be pretty good. But that's not the standard God uses. You know, I remind people that the geographical distance between the North Pole and the South Pole is considerable. But it's also negligible when compared to the distance between the North Pole and the farthest star in the universe. It's the same way with us. The difference between human beings seems to be a great deal. You know, the difference between Hitler and Walt Disney seems to be a lot of difference in, in, in morality. But in God's eyes, the difference between Walt Disney and Adolf Hitler is negligible compared to the difference between Walt Disney and you and me and God, who is absolutely perfect. And only Jesus Christ can bridge that gap between God and man. We've all sinned. We've all fallen short. We all must make a payment for our sins or allow God to make that payment for us. So fundamental misunderstanding of not only the character of God, but who we are in relationship to God's character. And then at the other extreme, and that is perhaps a fundamental denial of Satan and his efforts at not only watering down the gospel, but the outright version of that message. Well, that's right. And, uh, you know, the Bible says to avoid the way of Cain in Jude verse 11. The way of Cain describes Cain's uh, de decision that he would try to approach God on his own terms rather than God's terms. And every other world religion, Craig, is really a, a deviation uh, or a derivation of the way of Cain, man's attempt to approach God in his own way. And, uh, you know, Second Corinthians 11 says that Satan appears as an angel of light to deceive people. And other religions are really tools of Satan to lead people away from God. You know, when he says an angel of light, he appears sometimes as. Isn't it interesting that Muhammad uh, claims that he received an angelic revelation of Islam and that Joseph Smith uh, claims that an angel delivered to him the teaching of Mormonism? I have no doubt an angel appeared to both men, but it wasn't an angel from God. And uh, Paul goes on to say in 2 Corinthians 11, we should not be surprised that Satan's servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Many world religions, uh, many uh, groups, uh, I mean, they, they sound good, they look good, they sound like they're teaching great moral principles, but they are leading people away from the only way to God, which is faith in Christ alone. Well, and at the core, too, it, not only is it the sense of, you know, all roads lead to heaven, biblically ignorant, it shows that we're, we're theologically dishonest here. You make a beautiful illustration inside of your book, Not All Roads Lead to Heaven, this idea that somehow I can get on any highway and wind up at First Baptist Church in Dallas. Now, 
I guarantee you, if I took off here and got on 101 here in the San Francisco Bay Area, it could lead me to San Diego and eventually to Mexico, and I could make my way all the way up through the Oregon coast and eventually wind up in Canada. But no matter what direction I go on Highway 101, here's what I can guarantee you. It will not lead me to First Baptist Church in Dallas, Texas. That's right. And, you know, let's say, let's keep that analogy. Let's say that... Uh, that, that in fact all roads do lead to heaven. Well, that means Christianity is wrong. Uh, if, Christi- if, if Jesus is wrong about this, then you put your faith in the wrong person. Christianity is not the way to heaven if Jesus was wrong about this. But then here's the question. Which of the other thousands of ways to God do you choose? Uh, and, and, and what really confuses the matter is most all of other religions claim to be exclusive as well. So, I mean, you're left with not knowing how to get there if Christianity is wrong. And the fact is, I mean, all different religions are not different roads that lead up the same mountain of truth. Jesus said there's only one way to him. Our guest today, Dr. Robert Jeffers, a look at his new book, Not All Roads Lead to Heaven. We'll take a brief time out, come back to more of the conversation as Lifeline continues. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Wrestling author Dr. Robert Jeffress, a look at his new book, Not All Roads Lead to Heaven, sharing an exclusive Jesus in an inclusive world. By the way, the new book recently published by Baker Books, available at Christian bookstores throughout the Bay Area. You can also order it through Dr. Jeffress's website associated with the broadcast Pathway to Victory. Simply go to ptv.org. That's ptv.org. In your book, Dr. Jeffress, you walk through four, I think, very fundamental and yet critical definitions that I think will help the average reader better understand um, not only the slippery slope that that leads to some of this very sloppy and dangerous theology, but also the importance of of defining the differences between some of these fundamental worldviews. Walk us through, if you would, briefly, some definitions on universalism, pluralism, inclusivism, and exclusivism. Well, I don't want to get lost in the theological weeds in the few minutes that we have, but let me just basically say, you know, universalism is the belief that uh, everybody is going to heaven regardless of what they believe or don't believe. Pluralism kind of limits it to what needs to be religious people, but it really doesn't matter uh, what uh, religious people, uh, what religion it is, that people are saved by the death of Jesus Christ, whether they know his name or not. And that's the point that I want to make, because one of the key questions, Craig, is, well, what about those who have never heard about Jesus? The pluralist would say that's really no problem, that they are welcomed into heaven anyway. And yet, that's not what the Bible teaches. You cannot find one example in the New Testament of anyone uh, being saved apart from a personal faith in Jesus. Of course, the objection is, well, what about those who have never heard? Isn't it patently unfair for God to send people to hell who've never heard about Jesus? And here's the answer I give in the chapter devoted to this. Romans 1 says, everyone, by looking at creation, can know that there is a God. And although an acceptance of the, uh, the existence of God is not enough to save a person, it is enough if rejected to condemn a person. 
You know, we used to talk about the heathen in Africa as if all the heathen congregated in Africa. I'm not sure that's why that was, but let's let's talk about a 12-year-old girl who lives in Syria. She's never heard about Jesus, never seen a Bible. How is she saved? Well, she can look into the heavens and know she didn't create this world. That can't save her, but if she responds to the light God gives her, I think the Bible is clear that God will send to that girl the light she needs to trust in Jesus as her Savior. I mean, he did that for the Ethiopian eunuch in Acts 8. Here was a guy who wanted to know God. He's in his chariot reading Isaiah, can't make heads or tails of it. God miraculously sends uh, the evangelist Philip with the message of the gospel. Or think about the Roman centurion, Cornelius, Acts chapter 10. He was a lover of God, prayed regularly, gave his money to the poor. By most people's standards, that should be enough to go to heaven, but not by God's standard. He needed to hear Jesus, and so God miraculously sends Peter to preach to him the gospel. What I'm saying is whenever God sees a heart that really wants to know him, you can know for sure that God is going to get the information about Jesus that person needs to be saved. And certainly if God is capable of sending his only son to be born of a virgin, to suffer, die, rise again on the third day, if God is capable of doing all of that, he is certainly capable of individually revealing himself to persons who are perhaps beyond the reach of the church or not having uh, ever been exposed to the gospel in the fashion and form in which we would understand it. Well, that's right, and I don't think it's any accident that missionaries go where they go. I don't think it's any accident that the radio signals and television signals and the Internet literally reach around the world sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. What do we make of some of these individuals? And there are big names that come to mind, including the one big one that's down in your home state that <laughs> would look seriously at the television screen and say, well, now when it comes to this matter of uh, does this mean that someone, for example, who is um, Jewish, is necessarily going to hell. How do we deal with this exclusivity, the notion that salvation is limited to those who exercise faith in Christ and Christ alone? And of course, we've heard these answers. You articulate one in the book that's sort of this, well, I'm not sure, don't know, not up to me to judge. How do we give an answer for that from a biblical perspective? Well, and we've all seen people wilt under the television lights and basically, you know, break out in a sweat, stutter and stammer and basically say, I don't know, I don't know. We have to leave that up to God. Well, the problem with that is God has already made his judgment about that, and he's articulated it in the Scripture, and we need to be bold and compassionate and share that message with other people as well to save them from hell. You know, when people uh, accuse me of being anti-Semitic, I've been accused of that because I insist that Jews, like everybody else, must trust in Christ to be saved. That's not anti-Semitic. Jesus is the one who said it. Last time I checked, he was a Jew. The Apostle Peter was a Jew who said it. Acts 4.12, there is no salvation except by the name of Jesus. The Apostle Paul was the Hebrew of the Hebrews, the Jew of the Jews, and yet he gave his entire life to preaching that there is no salvation apart from the name of Jesus. So when you have the three most prominent Jews of the New Testament saying you have to believe in Jesus, well, I mean, I think that speaks for itself. Early on in the book, you talk about this notion that uh, part of this slippery slope has been the fact that largely we as evangelical Christians on this very topic have been outmarketed, outmaneuvered, outfought, and outargued. How do we come back full circle? How do we redeem this to bring it back, back to this fundamental teaching that narrow as the scripture tells us, narrow is the gate. 
Well, you know, the fact is, I, I think the fact that 57% of evangelicals believe there's more than one way to God, I mean, really is a reflection on what's being taught and not being taught in the pulpits today. I mean, as I, you mentioned, several major pastors who are waffling on this issue. My old professor at Dallas Seminary, Howard Hendricks, used to say, whatever is a mist in the pulpit becomes a fog in the pew. And I think a lot of people in the pew are, pew are foggy about this issue because they're not hearing it taught from pastors who want to be loving and kind and don't want to run anybody off and so forth. And they are neglecting their role to be prophets and evangelists teaching the Word of God. And Craig, let me just say in the closing moments, that's why I wrote Not All Roads Lead to Heaven, to equip Christians. Christians to reclaim this truth, and I encourage Christians to get it and read it for themselves, but also be ready to share that answer. You know, most people, if their child or grandchild asks them, well, do you believe a, a, a Muslim is going to hell? How could you say that? They wouldn't know what to say. Or if they were asked, well, what about children and infants who are too young to trust in Christ? They couldn't give any reason why they believe they're in heaven. All of those things I cover in my book. And as we enter this Easter season, especially, as people are more open to Jesus, Maybe some of our listeners know people who follow other faiths. They've never known how to approach them without offending them. Here's a great idea. Get a copy of Not All Roads Lead to Heaven and just give it to them as a gift, saying, I'd like to share with you why my faith is so important to me. I'll guarantee you this title, Not All Roads Lead to Heaven, will grab their attention immediately, and it may be a great conversation starter. Are we as the church... As we kind of conclude our conversation together, Dr. Jeffress, are we as, a, as the church at, at a very critical crossroads? Because it, it, it occurs to me that this is, a, this is as, as they say sometimes, the deal breaker. Yeah. Uh, that, that if we as the church do not fundamentally understand, if we're not capable of, of giving an answer for the hope that lies within, as Scripture exhorts us, if we do not understand the necessity of atonement, or if we somehow uh, recoil against this notion of, of spilt blood, atonement for sin, uh, appeasement, uh, propitiation, things of this sort, if, if, if we find all of that very uncomfortable... And we are therefore not able to effectively communicate the faith that we supposedly live and believe in. It would seem to me that 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 absent that, that the church becomes horrifically neutered. It does. And look, you know, you made an allusion to this. We lost the gay marriage battle because we were outfought, outfought and outmarketed on the issue. And, you know, marriage is a very important issue. But it pales in comparison to this issue. This issue is the foundation of the Christian faith. How can a person be reconciled with God? And if we allow ourselves to be outfought, outfought, and outmarketed on this, really, we need to shut the doors of our church and uh, keep our money for ourselves. Forget about evangelism and missions. We don't have a message to share with anyone if everyone's going to be in heaven anyway. A sobering message that comes from the very heart of God himself. Don't believe me? Read the scripture. And you can work through a better understanding of this topic, not only for yourself, but in sharing your faith with others, as Dr. Robert Jeffers so aptly points out. The book, Not All Roads Lead to Heaven, Sharing an Exclusive Jesus in an Inclusive World. Newly published, as we mentioned earlier, by Baker Books. You'll find it at bookstores throughout the Bay Area, as well as ordering it online through the Pathway to Victory website at ptv.org. That's ptv.org. And our thanks, as always, to Dr. Robert Jeffress, Senior Pastor at First Baptist Church of Dallas and Speaker on Pathway to Victory. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. 
We're going to turn corner and deal with another topic, uh, one that, quite frankly, a lot of us rebel against, we, we struggle with. We've heard passages of Scripture regarding now the wives should submit themselves to their husbands, and of course, we, we sometimes uh, uh, sort of recoil at that idea and, and then fail to recognize the second portion of that Scripture says that husbands should, should love their wives as Christ loved the church, and we know how Christ loved the church. He gave his very life for it. But this whole issue of learning how to submit and what submission means is something that a lot of us, quite frankly, struggle with. Uh, Certainly in our fallen condition, uh, the sense of wanting to rebel, not submit, seems to come more naturally. But at the end of the day, when we talk about being able to deepen our relationship with God, is it really about rebelling or is it about submitting? Joining me now, best-selling author, radio talk show host, his program, Road to Reality. He has authored over 200 books, some of which bestsellers selling more than 2 million copies. And he, of course, is the founder and international director of Gospel for Asia, Dr. K.P. Yohannan. And K.P., great to have you back on the show. Yeah, thank you. Good to be with you. Boy, this whole idea of submission, we kind of get uncomfortable with that idea, don't we? The, the idea of being able to kind of lay down to yield our our will to God. That's something that most of us just don't really cuddle up to. Yeah, you know, uh, when you think about it, anytime you, you hear the word submission or uh, surrender, naturally uh, our hearts um, go cold and uh, we, don't, we don't like to hear that. And one of the reasons is, you know, the, the, the abuse of leaders and authority and uh, you know, husbands um, and I think um, we naturally resist that, but the, the truth of the matter is this, that someone who is truly following the Lord, um, they, they, they want to please the Lord, and that also involves in um, embracing humility and submitting to authority, even when there are difficulties we have to deal with. You know, think about David who absolutely uh, knew God and God anointed him and here he was in a difficult situation under King Saul and David had every chance in the world and of course you know he would be justified to kill Saul and um, uh, inherit what was already given to him by God but he would not do that he said I cannot do it and I cannot raise my hand against God's anointed even when Saul was you know uh, a man who walked away from God and I think there, there need to be a deeper understanding of godliness uh, by our absolute surrender to God and his ways and uh, our problem in America or in the church uh, honestly I do not think it is uh, huge abuse of authority rather it is um, uh, people that uh, we, we do not want to uh, die to self and uh, be willing to uh, walk under the authority of God. It's interesting that you would single out David. Many of us would sort of regard him instantly as being this tremendous man of God. He's known as a man that has heart after God, a tremendous leader, and yet not really recognizing that perhaps one of his greatest attributes, one of his greatest strengths, was his ability to submit to God's authority. And, you know, trusting in God's sovereignty. You know, the scripture says in First John, someone says that, you know, I love God so much, the God that you cannot see, but then do not love those that he can see. The scripture says he is a liar or she is a liar. The truth is not in that person. So uh, when we live on earth, uh, acknowledging God's sovereignty 
you know, and and trust him, um, and and submit to him as long as the authority don't ask us to violate God's law and disobey God. And uh, you know, uh, there are times, um, you know, I talk about that in the book uh, when the authority ask us to violate God's word. We we cannot uh, say, okay, I do whatever you tell me to do. Uh, but I, I really believe. Uh, when you have 65% divorce rate um, in our evangelical uh, homes or 82% of the young people who grew up in Bible-believing churches leave the church when they leave home and um, the broken families, uh, there has to be some explanation to this. And I think we are uh, 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 self-willed, arrogant, proud, stubborn people uh, that we will, mu- we, we will not give up and we'll fight. And um, uh, th- th- someone who wants to know God and be godly, I think Jesus lived in absolute submission to his father, which also reflected in his submission to his parents, who were not, you know, you know angels, they were fallen people, how he lived. Uh, obeying his father which was reflected in his life on earth and I think the Lord calls us to uh, follow him Um, and I think Romans 13 very clearly talks about that you know I'm uh, you know not the one who promote that we go around and fight with everybody around us but really the question is this do we truly know the living God in our life and is that godliness in us that should be the reason why we surrender and obey and, and live through this. And the scripture is full of illustrations to this. Uh, let's go deeper. The point that you make, uh, KP, regarding arrogance and pride and how that feeds into our culture, our society today, is, is part of the challenge here in terms of understanding what it means to wholly submit to God. The notion that quite often we equate submission with weakness and we think, well, why, I can't possibly submit because I don't want to be seen as being weak or vulnerable. No, you see, the thing is, when you study the scripture, um, you know, submission is not weakness. As a matter of fact, the, the, the text itself, when you read about it, talks about strength under control. Um, it is um, my choosing to say, you know, I, I, I yield my rights and I do not want to fight. And, you know, Joseph had every right, every uh, reason to accuse, to fight and malign and uh, do all kind of things against, uh, you know, the, his master and his wife and so on. But you never find him complaining, murmuring, uh, fighting. And um, the, the reality uh, is this, that in the body of Christ, uh, in the local church or in the home, because we never learned what it means to die to self and denying ourselves, uh, we want God, you know, it is like in America you say, you want the cake and eat it too. Um, it, it just don't work like that. And I think the message of the cross and dying to self and being broken and humble and being uh, not wolves but lambs following the Lord Jesus Christ um, is seen uh, in, in the way we conduct ourselves in the society, in home, um, and things like that. I and mean, think about it. Uh, our very culture in the United States, as you know, I mean, we were born out of rebellion in some ways, 
and from the uh, childhood we are taught you know fight for yourself um, defend yourself and and uh, you have your rights and stand up for your rights i'm not saying we should you know um, you know agree with all the dumb things going on and just lay down and somebody you know wipe you out no i i'm i'm talking about people that read god's word and and trusting his sovereignty and willing to obey those um that god placed over us and that's what you know paul writing to the slaves their masters many times abusing them and he says you must obey your masters as unto the lord while paul says masters you know treat these people as your brothers and paul never promoted rebellion and fight and uh, that is exactly what lucifer did uh, he did not want to submit uh, under authority and uh, angel became satan and in all of us there is that seed of lucifer by nature we are stubborn and rebellious people and so Uh, we don't we don't want to experience suffering in the flesh which is the means we learn obedience and understand the ways of god that's what the bible says jesus learned obedience through suffering and which translate into um, walking away from uh, our rights many times and 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 follow instruction and fascinating that we seem to take almost a, one extreme or another position in other words kp we're either independent and strong or we're submissive and we're weak and yet look at the image that we see of christ presented as both the lion of judah tremendous Tremendous symbol of strength and overcoming the very gates of hell, and yet also depicted in the weakness of the lamb that ultimately was slain on our behalf. And so we see it not as one extreme or another, but in this case, really uh, both. A look at Touching Godliness, a new book written by K.P. Yohannan, available, by the way, through Gospel for Asia. You can contact them online at gfa.org. That's gfa.org. He's authored over 200 books and the radio program syndicated on over 900 stations weekly. Dr. K.P. Yohannan, founder and international director of Gospel for Asia. K.P. is always a delight to have you with us on the program. Well, that's going to do it for this edition of Lifeline. Thanks so much for being with us. And if there was anything you heard on today's show that you'd like to hear again or share with a friend, grab a copy of the Lifeline podcast. Simply log on to kfax.com. That's kfax.com for the Lifeline podcast. Our producer is Wanda Sanchez. I'm Craig Roberts. Till next time around, remember, just don't keep the faith. Get out there and share it and make it a great evening. So long. Opinions expressed in the preceding program do not necessarily represent the views of the ownership, staff, or management of KFAX. Copyright Salem Communications, all rights reserved. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here. Here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. And I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.